Good afternoon, and welcome to Triggered, or Untied, or the Corey Morgan Show. I don't know, Nico. What are we calling us now? James on the Corey Morgan Show. <laughs> uh, it's James on the Corey Morgan Show. I am quite obviously not Corey Morgan. He's away right now. Uh, my name's James Finkbeiner, and I'm the Vice President of Operations here at the Western Standard. Uh, this is our weekly live show where uh, we we update all of our members with the news, current events, and uh, and normally Corey gives a bit of a rant. But uh, today we're going to find out that Corey's not the most miserable person here, and probably I am. Anyways, let's get started. Let the eastern bastards freeze in the dark. We've all heard the quote. A, qu- a cry from Western Canada directed towards the first Trudeau in the PM's chair. But it seems those tables have turned. It's now time for the West to under the. F- it's now time for the West to freeze in the dark. Policy after policy from Justin Trudeau's climate czar Stephen Gilbo have shaken the very foundation of the country, from a carbon tax to no more pipelines to plastic bans. His assault on the Western Canadian electricity grid. It seems every new harebrained idea out of the Ministry of Environment and Climate Change has been specifically targeted at the West's natural resource economy, first jeopardizing our jobs and now our safety. Last week, the Alberta Electricity System Operator issued several grid alerts. By Saturday, a province-wide emergency alert was issued. There was no more power to be generated and the demand was setting new records. Alberta responded, as Albertans always do in emergency, and immediately cut their usage, saving the AESO from implementing rolling blackouts across the province on one of the coldest days in Alberta recorded history. While I was sitting around some candlelight with my friends on Saturday evening, I couldn't help but wonder, how did the province with the world's third largest oil and gas reserves get here? And if you check my Twitter, that's not exactly what I said. Well, the answer is complicated, but the bottom line is this. We have allowed ideology to override reality. Unpopular opinion. Climate change is real. I know. I know. The reality is the planet's getting warmer. We can debate how much humans are the cause of this, and some will tell you it's only our fault, and others will tell you it's the sun, continental drift, and a myriad of other reasons. But here's the point. We need to do something about it. And no, I'm not talking about taxing everyone into ideal climate change behavior, shutting down coal, shutting in natural gas, and overbuilding the grid to use useless renewable energy. But what I'm talking about is real, achievable goals that reduce our impact on climate. For every windmill or solar farm we build, we must also have backup production. The wind doesn't always blow, and the sun doesn't always shine. We learned very quickly this weekend what happens when we don't have this backup power, and neither do our neighbors. Luckily, Saskatchewan has some power in reserve. Coal to the rescue. We need to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels, but we shouldn't have to freeze in the dark to do it. In addition to not having solar and wind backup this weekend, there's lots of talk about different oil or gas-powered facilities that weren't on, uh, that had been shut down for maintenance, and uh, that, that weren't generating to their full capacity. This is going to happen in any system, whether it is a publicly run system or a privately run system. 
Machines don't run continuously 24 hours a day, seven days a week without needing maintenance, without needing turnaround, and without needing repairs. Yes, the province does need to investigate why we had so much power offline, but we also need to come up with common sense solutions that make sure every Albertan has power, has heat, and has the ability to live in a minus 40 degree situation. With that, let's uh, take a look at uh, what Dave has going on for us in the newsroom today. Dave, how's it going? Hey, wait a minute, you're not Corey. I'm the much younger but just as miserable version. Well, how did they decide uh, that you were going to replace them? Was our janitor busy? Um, yeah, well, kind of. Uh, basically, everyone else here has real important work to do. Uh, the reporters need to work on sources. They need to write content all day. And I'm the only one who normally gets to leave for lunch. And uh, I, I guess I just got chosen to sacrifice my lunch hour. That's true. This is going to be the longest you've spent inside the office uh, what, since you started here. Oh, almost continuously, for sure. I don't remember the last time I came in here first thing in the morning and made it all the way to one o'clock without uh, stepping outside for 20 or 30 minutes. Yeah, no kidding. Well, good for you. Anyways, yeah, you're doing well. Keep it up. Um, lots of stuff going on uh, to tell the uh, the readers and viewers about today. We're a uh, uh, big story at the moment is the uh, insolvency, insolvency, excuse me, of Black Press, which is a BC-based uh, uh, news chain. Uh, they uh, filed for insolvency this week with $61 million in debt and uh, only $3 million in cash. Turns out $1 million of that came from uh, uh, the Trudeau government in terms of uh, media subsidies. So even with a million dollars in free money, in taxpayers' money, they weren't able to make it. Our uh, energy reporter, Sean Polzer, who I understand is, is your guest coming up in a few minutes, has got a story on Alberta oil production. Uh, 2023, it, uh, it was uh, all-time high, uh, just a little bit uh, behind Iraq, but uh, ahead of China. So we're still uh, still pumping out the uh, uh, the black gold. Uh, someone in Alberta is having a much better day than you and I, James, because they purchased last night's winning ticket for $70 million. Uh, all we know is the winner is not in Calgary or Edmonton. So uh, get your tickets and check them if you haven't, uh, uh, because you may not have to go to work. Uh, again, Sean Pulser veering a little bit, uh, showing his versatility, as has done BC in, uh, in gridlock at the moment. Uh, they had a skiff of snow in uh, in Vancouver and Victoria, and as you can imagine, it has brought utter chaos. Uh, buses aren't running, schools aren't open, and newspapers are not being delivered. So uh, it's a bad day uh, for people out there. Uh, we got some uh, health scare news out of Buckingham Palace today on on two fronts. Turns out King Charles will be going into hospital next week to have uh, uh, surgery on a enlarged prostate. And Princess Kate has undergone surgery, uh, some sort of abdominal surgery. They're not telling us what it is, James, but uh, must be fairly serious because she's going to be in hospital for 14 days. Uh, all they've said is that uh, it's not uh, cancer. And uh, Christian Freeland, our Deputy Prime Minister and uh, Finance Minister, is in Davos, Switzerland today at the secretive uh, WEF meetings. Uh, she's uh, speaking apparently, but... Uh, it's close to the media, so we have no idea uh, what the, what they're talking about. But the focus of this year's meetings is uh, rebuilding trust. So that's a bit of a laughable title. Uh, and uh, I don't know if uh, Freeland going over there is going to do anything for Canadians' trust of the WEF or not, James. 
I can't imagine uh, it's going to move the needle very much. I don't think there's very much trust for Christia Freeland, Justin Trudeau, or the World Economic Forum. And of course, Christia Freeland is uh, on the board of the World Economic Forum, um, which, of course, she's there giving a speech that nobody's allowed to hear about. Another journalist, by the way. No, exactly. It'd be funny if uh, the rebels David Menzies was over there and uh, could confront her on the snow-covered streets of Davos and uh, ask her some questions. Well, that didn't go so well for him last time. Um, so I, I don't know. He might be a little bit gun shy this time. Um, but uh, I do I do hear that the rebel has a few reporters over there. So I hope they have several cameras rolling at all times to uh, make sure that next time the RCMP attacks one of them, that they've got that back up on tape. Yeah, I wonder how many RCMP officers got to fly to Switzerland to guard Freeland. Well, judging by the entourage that she was traveling around with just inside of Canada, I, I would imagine she's got quite a few with her. Plus, you know, those guys get a nice perk and a nice vacation after uh, taking out a journalist for one of the ministers. So why not? Free trip with uh, the deputy prime minister. And Davos is a pretty nice place. I wonder if they'll get any ski time in. <laughs> I'll have to see. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Thanks for the update. Uh, keep us uh, keep us uh, apprised of what's going on. Let us know if there's any breaking news over the lunch hour. It's been uh, a bit of a wild week in uh, Canadian politics so far, and it's only Wednesday. Yep, you got it, buddy. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Dave. Great. Well, up next, we have Western Standards energy reporter, business reporter, and uh, apparently now Vancouver traffic reporter, uh, Sean Polzer. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. So I wanted to talk about uh, a column that you put out last week. Uh, I have seen the future of solar in the California desert, and it's nasty. Um, this comes right in line with... Uh, um, some of the situation that we're having right now right across the West. And, and this isn't even just Western Canada anymore. Uh, I, I think um, it's, it's your story as well, where um, actually it could be Corey's, where Texas is now going into grid alerts and they're having the same sort of issues that Alberta's having. And uh, if the members don't know, uh, both Alberta and Texas have very similar grids. Texas's grid is more enclosed. It's not tied out to the rest of it. But uh, there, there's quite a bit of solar and wind projects being built in Texas that almost mirror the solar and wind projects being built in Alberta. Now, we're talking about solar in California. So why, uh, why don't you tell me what you've seen and, and what the future for the, the Western Canadian prairies looks like for us? <clears throat> Well, we were uh, traveling from Palm Springs up to Vegas uh, for the new year, and we just happened to drive through the desert, and um, I'd, I'd noticed this kind of weird geometric shape on uh, Google Maps, and then I realized, like, holy smokes, that's a, a solar farm. So when we got there, sure enough, um, it's massive. Like, it, it covers, uh, like... I don't know how many acres, but it's, it's just absolutely enormous. It's, and they're in three segments, and um, it's literally miles across, five miles or so across. Um, it's just nothing but solar panels, black, as far as the eye can see. Um, you know, apart from being a visual monstrosity, it's basically got all the elements of what people are concerned about with uh, solar here in in. Canada. It's on uh, private land that's uh, being administered by the Bureau of Land Management. Um, massive uh, power lines that basically run to nowhere. There's only 200 people that live in this little town of uh, Desert Center. 
Um, people who live in the desert tend to be um, kind of hermits, I guess you, you might call them. So uh, we're, we're driving through and along the way, I saw that sign, you know, you know solar kills life. And uh, up in the up in the corner, you can see there's he's a PTSD vet, and uh, you know there's a, a trailer on the side of the road, and you know I had half a mind to go up and knock on the door, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure if that would have been a very good idea. I, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, they have guns. <laughs> they sure. shoot out first, ask questions later in that area of the desert. I've actually driven through this area of the desert before, so I'm fairly familiar with where this facility is. Now, this facility I, itself, I believe it's it's actually solar-generated power, right? This isn't uh, one of the other solar projects that's a little bit closer to Vegas that's using um, mirrors to reflect solar energy to heat um water right. for power right i and i did uh, drive through that one t as well as copper mountain when you mm -hmm. come up through the past when you're coming down into vegas yeah i saw that one as well and it's uh equally ghastly <laughs> yeah well that one actually um I, i've done a bit of research on that one before in the past that one's fascinating uh they actually built it and they set all of these mirrors up to focus on one central cooling or one central heating tower and the the solar energy is supposed to preheat the water then the water goes down through the system and then they use steam to generate electricity the only issue was the sun doesn't always shine it gets cold at night so the facility was getting too cold in the evening so during the day the reflected sunlight was basically uh, a kfc microwave oven for birds flying through it oh. And, uh, and then during the night, it would cool down so much. So they actually ended up having to use um, natural gas to preheat the water in the system. And they were using so much gas to preheat the water in the system that it began uh, having to pay the carbon tax that's in California. Oh. So the solar facility was essentially just a very expensive, very inefficient natural gas facility that was very efficient at uh, cooking birds. Uh, yeah, that uh, apparently that is a problem. Uh, I did some Googling uh, on the Altos uh, projects. It's three phases. Um, it's about uh, a thousand megawatts, which is about half the size of the Hoover Dam, but it occupies like just a, a, a massive uh, area. Um, it's in the middle of a wildlife refuge for desert hares and tortoises, and they have to put up fences basically to keep these animals out or risk of becoming cooked. Yeah. Uh, birds land on them because they think it's a lake. Uh, insects get fried. There's a, um, a, the original proposals were made during the Obama administration and then under the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, Biden. So they got about $16 billion before it came into service last year. And, uh, you know, there's this perception that the desert is kind of a, a wasteland anyway, that you can't really do anything with the land. Mm -hmm. But uh, apparently it turns out it's a massive carbon sink because of the, the roots of the plants that live have to go down deeper. Yeah. Um, uh, another unique feature over there is they're actually pumping groundwater to uh, keep the dust down, to keep the dust off the panels so that they can maintain their efficiency, which, you, you know, it's already an arid yeah. desert, you know. Oh, exactly. And I, like we have the same parallels here in Alberta. Like a lot of, I, I'm not sure if a lot of people understand, but where these solar fields are being built is is roughly in the, it's in the Palliser Triangle, which is considered a semi-arid desert. Yes. So a lot of people, especially people living in the cities, Calgary, Edmonton, they look and they just see this big empty wasteland. 
but realistically, it is a massive carbon sink. Um, the roots of these plants are capturing carbon every day, transferring it down deep into the soil. But on top of it, it is a great area that is just teeming with life. Um, just outside of Medicine Hat in the Mini Berries area, uh, years ago, there was a proposed gas facility project that was supposed to go in there, a full gas field. And uh, that was stopped, I believe. Uh, it was for wildlife protection. I believe the animal was pheasants. But now that same area, they're talking about building a massive uh, solar field. Uh, that massive solar field would be five to 10 to 100 times more impactful on the area than the, the gas wells would have been. The, the footprint comparison, it, it's just crazy. Um, so a, a lot of people, and especially a lot of people in rural Alberta, are pushing back on these solar fields. Uh, they're pushing back on these wind facilities because they're they're not just eyesores, but they're actually affecting uh, animal migration projects. Um, you know, I, I've always found it interesting that uh, around Medicine Hat and in southeastern Alberta, we've gone around and readjusted the barbed wire fences, taking the lowest level of the barbed wire fence off. Um, changing the height of the fences, and uh, that's so the, the uh, antelope can migrate through, uh, through Western Canada, down into the United States, and down into Yellowstone Park. And now at the same time, we're building these massive solar and wind facilities right in the exact same areas. And, uh, and, and it seems that a lot of people have pushed back on Danielle Smith's moratorium on, on um, renewable projects. But isn't that moratorium basically in place to adjust to to assess these specific problems, uh, animal migration, habitat uh, destruction, and, and just the absolute monstrosity of the wind facilities in the first place? Absolutely, and uh, also issues like reclamation. So when you come into Palm Springs uh, from Los Angeles through uh, that pass, I'm not sure exactly what it's called. Uh, uh, it's, it's been totally built up with wind. Yeah. Uh, but the old uh, windmills are still there. They had those old crickety, cranky things, and you yep. can see the blades are broken, and they don't turn. Yeah, <laughs> And they're still occupying all the land because there was never any reclamation procedures that were put in place to uh, take them down. Yeah, and, and that's part of it, is that uh, when you look at some of the, the history of some of these wind fields, um, those those uh, specific ones have not been reclaimed at all, and and then you look at other areas where they're tearing them down, they're burying them on site, and the windmills once they're buried, they're toxic. Like they're they're full of fiberglass, uh, which actually brings me to my next questions. Um, but we'll get into that in a second. Let's finish up with reclamation. So uh, they're going to have to bury them on site. It, it's not worth it to truck it out of there. But then there's tons of concrete that's involved in this as well. And there's no plan right now to reclaim that. Right. And we've already learned with concrete and oil and gas wells and everything else that that's, that's a problem, which is why we have uh, the, uh, the Orphan Well Association that is supposed to be taking care of that. But we don't have a similar association for solar projects or wind projects or anything. Right. And uh, even with the solar, there's, um, because these panels have to be mounted on, uh, you know, cement uh, blocks as well. And uh, my understanding is that there's quite a bit of wiring that goes under the ground to basically to link them all up. So not only do you have the above surface disruption, but there's actually a significant amount of subsurface disruption as well. So I don't know if you can answer this question for me. It might be a question that uh, we might want to reach out to and answer because this is something I've always wondered. Why are we not building solar on existing infrastructure? Well, you know, this is a, a very uh, pertinent question because there is uh, rooftop solar kind of 
industry in California, uh, which is booming because people are putting the solar panels on their uh, roofs. And they're complaining about these massive uh, solar and uh, wind farms because they compete directly with, uh, you know, the rooftop solar. And these tend to be uh, smaller businesses, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I forget how many people that they actually employ. Like, uh, I think there's almost 10,000 installers in Palm Springs alone. You know, notwithstanding, uh, you know, all the movie stars yeah. <laughs> that are, are using <coughs> solar power to power their, uh, you know, uh, Bentley EVs and uh, BMWs. Oh, exactly. I, actually, um, one, uh, Bill Mayer, the comedian, he jumped on this right away. And, and it's actually been kind of telling why this has been an issue in California. He was one of the first uh, famous people, uh, celebrities to adopt solar on his home. And I believe by the time he was done the permitting process, jumping through all the hoops with uh, the city, the county, all of the regulatory bodies, it was almost four years from the time he first put in his applications to the solar was actually installed. Do we have similar regulatory issues like that in in? Alberta or in Canada? No, I don't think we do. And I think that's one of the reasons that the moratorium was uh, set up uh, because Premier Smith has, um, she kind of tossed out this idea of uh, the, a solar farm on top of the West Edmonton Mall, mm -hmm. which would be one of the largest ones in Canada. And it would actually uh, make a lot more sense because uh, it would, you know, you'd have the power where you need it or even here down in, in Calgary, so uh, on the rooftops of the scrapers here, so that you don't have to build these uh, big power lines and these uh, generating stations and these relays. And well, exactly, build the power where it's already needed, not hundreds of kilometers away, and then put it through massively overbuilt uh, power line infrastructure and where it's going through line loss anyway. So by the time you get the power from where it's windy to where the power's needed. You've lost you've 20, lost. 30, 50% of it, depending on the distance. And you also don't get the subsidies if you put it on your rooftop. See, that's the other issue too, is because uh, these massive installations are receiving like just uh, horrendous subsidies from the Biden administration. Like, And not to mention that, but uh, greenhouse gas credits. <laughs> yeah, well, so for me in, in that, uh, so Saturday, the emergency alert goes off. We're all running around like crazy. People are unplugging, not just their EVs. You're unplugging your block heater. You're shutting off your dishwasher. Uh, you're shutting off your washing machine and dryer. For me, <laughs> I shut off all the LED lights in my house. So, my you know, <laughs> I really, we really dropped the usage by shutting off all of our LEDs, but we were sitting around having a few drinks. We were sitting around by candlelight anyways. It, it was kind of funny. But you look out and you see all of downtown is still lit up. It's still, all of the lights are on. Uh, you know, they're not shutting down major sporting events and sending everybody home. They're not shutting down the trains. But, you know, just the emergency alert was enough to bring down the power. But the first thing I thought was, why haven't we been um, subsidizing or at least incentivizing people to build solar and battery storage on their own homes. Um, I've actually been looking into this a little bit. Tesla, the Tesla solar roof that they build, um, the, our current house designs make it a very poor investment for existing infrastructure. But for new homes, it's actually a great idea. And one of the things is these panels are individually replaceable and they're more durable than your regular shingle roof when it comes to hail. So being in Alberta, we're susceptible to hail. It would actually be, if incentivized properly, would be amazing. And then people would have the individual storage in their houses. This would negate the need to have 
massive solar fields that just look like scars across the, the prairies, but they have no solar backup on them. They have, there's no storage because storage at that size uh, and that scale is, is inefficient. But if we could put the, the solar panels on our own roofs and put the storage in our own homes, then in these emergency situations, it's not really an emergency if you're self-reliant and off the grid. Um, you know, you could combine that with a natural gas generator and you could become a prepper right in the middle of Calgary. Absolutely. I, no, I, I think it's a great idea. I've kind of looked into it. Uh, on. We just bought a house and uh, was an infill in Bowness and um that was kind of a thought. So you have to have uh, the power meter that goes both ways. Mm -hmm. um, the city does offer incentives. So Edmonton and Calgary both do offer incentives, but uh, the application windows to apply for them are limited and uh, the actual funds are limited. So it's a first come first serve kind of thing. Yeah, you still need to be fairly wealthy to be able to put the system in yourself. It's and, quite expensive. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the, the average consumer that is already unable to reduce their carbon footprint, uh, mostly because of their income, and then the carbon tax, and then relying on the subsidy to come back, uh, these, these, these solutions are out of reach for them. Right. And uh, it would make a lot of sense to have like uh, a national or uh, even a, I think the province is considering a, a program. Uh, you can't really quote me on that. But uh, yeah, it would, it would make a lot more sense to have, you know, national programs for these kinds of things rather than, uh, like you said, carbon taxes or, you know, EV mandates. I, I mean, how are you, where are you going to get all the power from for all these EVs? that are going to be mandated by 2035. Well, and that's the other thing is we haven't seen any, well, at, at least in Alberta, any of the utilities really invest in upgrading the grids anywhere. So I live inner city Calgary. Our power lines are still above ground. We don't even have below, below ground power lines yet. Same. And, and that would be an area where the, uh, the different upgrades would be fairly simple to make, but they're going to be expensive. And... Uh, what happens now is I think you can have two or three EVs on a block using the city power. And then after that, you can't the anymore. Transformers blow if they're yeah. all charging at the same time. So like transformers are expensive and you can't make those. There, there's no strategic stockpile of transformers sitting anywhere. Um, so if we really want to push everybody in EV by 2035, shouldn't we not simultaneously be pushing solar and storage at the individual home to save money on upgrading the grid every three houses absolutely um but this was another issue that came up uh, in the fall uh when the aso so the aso had its first press conference in like 10 years you know so we were all in there and um one of the issues that came up was uh, indemnifying uh, executives of these uh, power companies because uh, for you know, upgrading the grid, if it's going to use gas and supposedly increase uh, emissions, then they could be liable for criminal prosecution. So that's when uh, Premier Smith came up with this idea of uh, maybe starting up uh, an Alberta power company as a last resort to make these good investments so that uh, these people don't have to worry about being hauled off and thrown into jail. Well, exactly. And this has kind of come up lately, especially with some of the gas facilities not being turned on or being under construction. Uh, I, I actually think a lot of the ones that people were talking about, they, they're still under construction. They're showing they're on a lot of grid reports. Yeah. yeah, but they're they're not... They're not generating yet and, right. and there's always planned maintenance there's always turnaround and you can pick a date on the calendar 
and it, it, it doesn't matter. You could be hitting peak period. It could be the coldest day of the year, but you were planning for it to be a Chinook, or it could be the hottest day of the year, and you thought it was going to be rain, and, and there wasn't going to be a lot of energy used. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm just seeing one of the comments here that's coming in, and it says, the cost of everyone having solar panels is not only financially prohibited, the cost on the environment is multiple times greater than oil and gas. And that's one of the things that I find that's missing on the green energy conversation is what is the cost of a creating the solar panels, but how do we recycle them? Can they be reused? Uh, we know overall that wind can't and that the amount of trucks that it takes to move uh, wind turbine in place, the amount of coal, the amount of carbon it takes to build the wind turbines, that a lot of these wind turbines will never offset the oil and gas that they were meant to offset in the first place. Is that the same with solar? Can solar be recycled? Um, I, my understanding is that there is uh, kind of an emerging recycling industry for the solar. Um, in Europe, they're trying to uh, find a way to recycle these uh, windmill blades. The, the steel towers can be recycled. Uh, the cement can't. But uh, there again, it's uh, prohibitively expensive. Uh, it's going to take a lot of government subsidies, you know, even if they wanted to. Um, there was that issue with Spain. I think we were talking about they have to replace yeah. almost their entire wind fleet over the next five years. That you know, because you've only got a twenty-five year operating life on these things. And, yeah. And there's like uh, two landfills in all of the European Union that can take these blades. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, some of these issues are starting to be addressed, but uh, I think uh, solutions are still quite a ways off. You know, a lot of people don't realize uh, oil and gas wells, I mean, apart from the, you know, 12 by 12 little pad yeah. that they take up in, in the field, there's actually not a lot of surface disruption. No. And, you know, the pipelines are mostly underground, and once they're down, you know, they're pretty much invisible. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we've kind of come to take that for granted, right? Uh, oh, exactly. Road access and, and well, those kinds of issues. And especially so, I grew up in Medicine Hat. I know the, the Medicine Hat area, the oil and gas fields very well. That's where I grew up. That was my teenage job was rig moving on the Suffield base. And you can look out at night, especially when you're driving between Medicine Hat and Brooks, and you will see little red glowing lights everywhere. And those are oil and gas wells that are still in production. And you can see them. They're, they're there. Uh, during the day, you can't notice them as much. Um, but in stark contrast, when you're driving into Medicine Hat, uh, just in between Suffield and Redcliffe, there's a hill that you can come up. You come up on, on the number one. And when you're looking to the east, now what you used to see was the town of Redcliffe, the city of Medicine Hat, and the River Valley, and then the rise all the way up into the Cypress Hills. Mm -hmm. Now, all you see is windmills. Mm -hmm. As far as you can see in any direction, you can see those windmills. And when you come in at night, it looks like a fire. Like, mm -hmm. there's just flashing lights everywhere. Mm -hmm. And all I can think of is, yeah, those are only going to be there for 25, 30 years, but are they going to be abandoned on site? Are they still going to be standing there and not producing? And is this just something we're going to have to look at forever? And then you look and you kind of look at where all the oil and gas wells are and where they've been reclaimed and it goes dark again. Yeah. It goes to black. There's yeah. nothing there. You can never tell it was there. And, and you know, for me, until they start building a, a wind facility on Signal Hill or on Nose Hill or right in the middle of uh, in Calgary, I, where's the crisis? Why is the crisis rural Alberta's problem? And, and where's the action inside the cities who are actually using the party or power? They actually make a lot of noise as well. 
when you come in off 22X uh, towards uh, Fort McLeod turnoff, and mm -hmm. Cali, my in-laws were from Cali, and you know, Cali Ridge was over on the edge there now. And just in the past, uh, I guess, 10 or 15 years that I've been going down there, like you've just seen this massive proliferation of those windmills. And it's yeah. like you said, the little red lights, the constant, like, yeah. like uh, yeah, they're not, pe people who have the windmills next to them, once they get them, they, they really don't like them. <laughs> oh, I know. And well, and the other thing is, is a lot of people who are living next to the these wind projects, the, the reason why you don't have a steady stream of people complaining about them is because of NDAs. So if right. you live within a certain distance of a wind facility, they come, they make you an offer for a certain amount of money, and you sign an NDA. And that is how they're getting these things built, uh, specifically around Cypress County. And I know that there are a very small group of ranchers in that area that have refused to sign the NDAs. They've refused to take the money. And they're saying, we're not signing away our rights to sue you in the future if we're sick because of these things, because they provided them no data that they're safe to live beside. And there are different areas of the world where the data has come out that the windmills can cause certain problems and certain illnesses in people that live very close to them. Well, there's, it's been documented living under uh, <coughs> high tension power lines. You know, uh, I remember riding my mountain bike under one of these things and all of a sudden I was getting shocks on my uh, bike handles from just, just from being under like, you know, the, the bike path went under the power top. Right. Yeah, for sure. Now, one of the last things I want to ask you before I let you go uh, was um, the combination we're seeing right now, uh, Environment Minister uh, Rebecca Schultz has been uh, working fairly hard, it seems, on getting some solutions out there for drought. Yes. Uh, now, we clearly have a water problem in the province. Uh, we've been under El Nino for a couple of years now. Yep. We're not seeing the snow in the winter. We're not seeing the rain in the summer. The snowpack in the mountains isn't there. And our storage capacity is almost empty. So one of the things that um, somebody reached out to me about was why aren't we storing water, but also using green energy to store the water? So in some areas, I think there's one of these projects in Ontario, when the wind's blowing and the sun's shining, they use that electricity to pump water into a reservoir. And when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining, the water comes back down out of the reservoir into the river system and goes through an electric dam, which then keeps the green energy essentially moving all the time. Um, to your knowledge, are we looking at any projects like this in Alberta and should we be? I think we should be. Um, they've got a lot of small river run uh, hydro in uh, places like Ontario and, and British Columbia because obviously they have a lot more water resources. Um, yeah, um, Minister Schultz has been uh, very proactive on this. Um, I've written some stories, I don't know if anybody reads them, <laughs> you know, but they're, they're trying to do some uh, modeling, AI modeling, and, and uh, I have heard that uh, concept of, uh, you know, instead of um, paying all these carbon offsets and stuff to actually, you know, build these uh, storage, uh, water storage things and then pump, pump the water in and then pump it back out and generate electricity from it. And I, I think it's a fabulous idea. Well, exactly. I mean, it, so one of the things that's always frustrated me uh, about Alberta is when we have the massive floods, all of that water just goes down, down the rivers, uh, ends up in the ocean. And if 
to me, this should be something that we should be looking at as a combined issue because this might be a place where wind and solar actually could be used for water storage um, and, and farming and irrigation where the energy that is created from these would be used right where they are instead of building massive amounts of solar fields and wind turbines and, and shipping that energy back to the cities. Right. Um, I actually wrote <coughs> uh, a story from... The minister's department, they're, they're calling me up and <laughs> pitching these things. You know, I'm kind of doing them out of goodwill. But the, but that's exactly what it was. Uh, I think they've spent uh, close to $40 million since about 2014. Uh, basically, it's rehabilitating uh, shorelines and water banks so that when you do have the floods, um, that they wind up staying in there so that you have a higher water levels when the droughts inevitably come. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like one of this is going to be a major issue in the next few years. And th this is going to entangle several different industries in Alberta. Like this is agriculture. This is oil and gas. This is green energy. And this is our grid. Like Absolutely. these are our major industries in the province. Mm -hmm. And it seems that right now um, with federal policy, the former NDP policy, the start of the UCP policy, uh, instead of looking at all of these issues as global issues or like globally for Alberta, like they're Alberta wide issues that need to be addressed. They've just done low hanging fruit and, oh, we'll just subsidize the, the wind and the solar. And we're not even going to look at the agricultural aspect of it. And it's like, well, actually, if you're using the wind and solar over top of the water reservoirs and using that to pump the water across the province and storing the water properly, saving that water storage for green energy production in the future, we could use all of those things because those things happen when the sun is shining and when the wind is blowing. And then we can use our uh, natural gas to have a baseload system that is reliable, that when it's minus 55 with the wind chill, we're not shutting off our heater. I was going to say that's what they've been doing in Holland since 1600s. <laughs> oh, exactly. Like it, it, we're, not, water, we're not reinventing you know. the wheel here, but instead uh, the, the whole issue has become so politicized that if you say, hey, I'd like to put solar panels on my, on my roof, they're like, you lefty. And it's like, well, no, if I put the solar panels on my roof and have an EV car and I have storage, if I never leave the city of Calgary and I can afford it, um, it, it'll actually save me money in the long run. It's actually a great idea. And then on top of it, our society is not sitting stuck in traffic, huffing on carcinogens from burning fossil fuels in our cars. Sure. Uh, you know, but I think another uh, issue that has to be worked out and it's not mentioned uh, very often is, you know, who gets these actual emissions credits, right? Yeah. Because I think that a lot of the uh, massive developments that are taking place on these private lands is more to, uh, you know, take advantage of these federal carbon credits that uh, Jibo is handing out. Oh, exactly. Right. As opposed to any meaningful contribution well, to the electrical grid. Companies like Amazon and Microsoft are benefiting more from the windmills that are being uh, built across southern Alberta than any Albertans benefiting from it. Right. And all we're getting out of it is an unreliable grid and Calgary Towers across the prairies. And, and like, let's, let's remember uh, this nimbyism. Uh, I, I'm not saying it because I'm from rural Alberta. I'm saying you can't build a certain height of building in some areas of Calgary because it'll cast a shadow on the neighbor's house. Right. But when there's only, th that doesn't happen because there's several hundred people fighting that project. But what is the one rancher who doesn't want 100 towers casting shadows over his house, what does he do? Because he's one person. 
He's one family. He's four people. He's there. There's not a hundred people that are affected by that, but they're affected way more than the hundred people are from the minuscule shadow of a building in, in Calgary. For sure, there's that uh, bed and breakfast in Waterton that's uh, fighting that uh, very issue right now. Like they've got a ranch, it's a bed and breakfast, and they're putting up all the windmills and blocking basically the view of, of the national park. And and that's exactly what they've complained. They've got a Facebook uh, site. I couldn't dig it up if I looked. Um, and that's what it's saying. Like we're just one family, you know, and and they're putting it here. This is exactly what happened in California. This little town, two hundred people you know, spend $16 billion and that was supposed to be some kind of economic miracle. And these people are saying, well, no, they did it to us because we're little people because, you know, they didn't think that we could fight back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And and, and that's happening in, in certain areas of, of Alberta. And that's why I've actually supported the, the premier's moratorium on, on wind and solar projects. And, you know, I, I don't support banning them. I, I think that's ridiculous. I think there's a solution here. I think we need to find that solution. But I think it's going to take a lot more out-of-the-box thinking and a lot of different levels of government working together on common goals and not against each other. Otherwise, Saskatchewan's just going to keep firing up coal mines. <laughs> and, you know, they fired up the Boundary Dam. It was supposed to be shut down in 2021. <laughs> the thing's old. I doubt it's efficient. I d- it is not clean coal. I, I bet that. But here we are being coal powered again so um thank you for joining me today sean hopefully you know hopefully the governments can find a solution for it but if not it'll give lots of things for us to talk about and for us to write about excellent awesome thank you for joining me today excellent james so now uh coming up in the next couple of weeks tucker carlson will be live in calgary and in edmonton and uh we were fortunate enough to uh to get a block of tickets uh we handed those out as a as a reward or as a uh, prizes for our members. It was uh, awesome. It was, it's been super well received. Uh, we were actually fortunate enough to get a second block of tickets. So check your email. Uh, anyone that's entered into that contest, there was quite a bit of winners. Uh, if you did receive tickets and you're not sure if they're valid, send us an email to membership at uh, westernstandard.news and we would be happy to take a look and make sure that the tickets that you have are the appropriate tickets and that uh, they're good to go. But we are super excited for the event and uh, we were pretty fortunate. And uh, we're going to be doing a whole lot more of that this year. Um, We're going to be giving back to our members. We are uh, hoping that we can have more contests, more entries, more meet and greets and more events. And if you have a idea that you would like to see passed on to us, reach out to us, membership at westernstandard.news. But that is all the time that we have for today. Uh, We will be back uh, later this evening with The Pipeline and uh, next Wednesday with The Corey Morgan Show. And don't forget to stay updated, www.westernstandardonline.news or westernstandard.news, sorry. You can tell how long I've been around here. I still got the old URL. Anyways, that's it for me. Uh, Hopefully I don't get fired after this. And uh, if not, maybe I'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada. And more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. You become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny.